Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. What's the 411? You're tuned in to 411 Teen, a weekly program for teens, families, and other interested folks. 411 Team provides a forum to examine and discuss various issues and events that confront, intersect, and sometimes interrupt our daily lives. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield. Tapping into the pulse of young folks, this edition of 411 Team features politics rap, a team of international baccalaureate IB students from Rickards High School with a diverse political perspective and positions. Students analyze and evaluate local, state, and national political issues in events, maintaining a substantive dialogue. I welcome the politics rap team. Please introduce yourselves. Give us a little, tell us a little bit about you, name, what you're into. Um, let's start with Ahmad. Ahmad is the student producer. Hey, I'm Amagacharya, and I'm a sophomore at Rickards High School. And in my free time, I like to play games and play with my dog. All right. How about Donald? Hi, my name is Donald. Um, I'm a sophomore at Rickards High School. And in my free time, I like to listen to music a lot. Nathan. Uh, my name is Nathan Parath. I'm also a sophomore at Ricketts High School. And in my free time, I usually either listen to music or go rock climbing. Dylan. Hi, my name is Dylan. I'm a sophomore at Rickards. And in my free time, I do clubs like Science Olympiad, and I like to program. And last but not least, Xavier. Hi, my name is Xavier, and I also like to play games, hang out with my dog, and go rock climbing. So very, very diverse here. Yes, and I'm glad to have all of you uh, welcome you to a special politics wrap edition today. We will entertain topics and questions submitted by our listening audience. We deeply appreciate your support and energy and ear. First, though, before we get started, to my panel, I have a couple of questions. My first question to you <clears throat> is what is your primary mode of communication? And I'd like to hear from all of you. And when I say primary mode of communication, I mean, do you usually communicate more by phone, by text, by Instagram? What is your primary way of communicating with folks? And I'll start with you, Ama, because I know you're comfortable and familiar, and we'll just kind of go from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say primarily I would use text message. And if it's someone more important, like a family member, then I would probably call them. But for most people, friends, stuff like that, I usually use text message. Okay. All right. Nathan, um, I what, what about you? Or Donald, that's fine, Donald. Oh, I would say um, the same thing. I mainly use text messages. Uh, call, calling isn't really my, it's not what I, really, what I like to do. Like I prefer to text people. Okay, all right. So text, two for text. All right. 
who's next doesn't matter to me. It's um, you're open, Dylan. Uh, I usually text people. Sometimes the platform varies, but mm -hmm. I don't have an issue myself with calling people. But I find that a lot of other people don't like it, so I don't do it that often. Oh, okay. And what is it they don't like about it? That's interesting. Probably just like it puts you on the spot more. I think. Oh. oh, okay. All right. All right. Xavier? Yeah, I like, uh, I do a mix of the two. Generally, I will just text people, but if it comes to like a really long conversation, I like to call just because I think that texting for long periods of times can be uh, a bit weird for conversations. Okay. Next question. Everybody's answered that one, correct? I Next. Have not. I haven't yet. Nathan, sorry about that. Nathan. Yeah, my primary form of communication is also just texting. I usually take a little longer than most people because I have to rewrite it 39 quadrillion times because I convince myself that it sounds dumb. <laughs> but it still works eventually. Okay. Well, that's great. You're gonna this is gonna make sense when when we get to the to the end of these questions. All right. Some of you have already answered this because I was going to ask you. Is your mode of communication determined by who you are speaking to? In other words, if you're communicating with teachers or parents, or some of you may have jobs or work or friends, how does that influence your mode of communication? Yeah, so as I said, if it's family members or sometimes teachers, I prefer calling because I believe like it's more respectful and more professional. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if I'm just trying to talk to my friends, then I find it easier to text message them because calling, you know, you have to plan it and they have to find the time. And I just want to like have a casual conversation. Okay. And we'll just go down, Donald. You're uh, free to, you know, share. Uh, yeah. Um, my, my, my mode of communication doesn't change much between uh, family members and friends. But in terms of people with authority, I usually email them. I mean, I, I don't really, I can't really text my teachers. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I don't call uh, my teachers either. So. Okay. Dylan? So I, it does change definitely for teachers. I actually like to see if I can find a few minutes to just talk to them in person. But if mm -hmm. I can't, I'll email them. Um, okay. And that's true for anything that's like professional. Like if I'm trying to apply to something or reach out to a doctor or anything like that, mm -hmm. I'll use email. Um, with my friends, I'll use text. Um, and my parents, I usually text too or just talk to them. Okay. Xavier? Yeah, I generally will always just stick to messaging. Uh, I think they're like, well, no, not for like shorter conversations and always calling for longer. Like it doesn't depend on the person, which one of those I do. It just depends on the time is what I mean. Uh, so, yeah. All right. And Nathan. Usually it doesn't really vary for me. I just text most of the time, unless it's to like a teacher or something, then I just use the uh, email built in on Canvas. Okay. Well, you know, more than half the world's population, and we're talking about 
um, 4.7 billion people use social media. And experts expect the number of social media users to continue to rise in the, in the future years. Apps such as TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and X um, or Twitter have changed the way that we interact with each other. But there's a lot of disagreement about what the overall effect is. Is all that time spent in front of computers and on our phones healthy? Is social media, this is the question that was posed, I received on in. Is social media making us less social? So that's the question. How do you think social media has impacted communication today? I think it really. We'll just go right down to this, Ahmad. So I think a lot of people hate to admit it, but social media does make people less social. Like they believe talking to people online is equivalent to talking to people in real life. However, talking to people online, you're lacking that like one-on-one -on -one connection. And it's not really, it's not true socializing. So and I see a lot more people like in school that they're just quiet. They sit on their phones and they don't even socialize with like any other people. And I think social media is a big reason for that. Okay. And how about the rest of you? Where do you sit? What about you, Donald? Well, uh, I personally don't have any, I don't have many of the majors uh, social media companies, uh, mm -hmm. any apps. But I would say that just the nature of social media, um, it it prevents that one-on-one -on -one com communication that Amog was talking about. And it and without you know human people like, talking to each other in person, people get uh, less practice with it and then are more uncomfortable with it. Uh, making people become just less social and just stay in their own little bubble instead of mm -hmm. going out and talking to people. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's really what generated this call. Because there, you know, some adults, I, I myself have been in restaurants and seen people, you know, a couple out looking like they were enjoying the food but neither one of them were talking to each other. One would be looking at their phone, the other was looking at the phone too. And once in a while they raised their heads. And so to old folks, we wonder, what is it all about? Do you all communicate? So that's, I think, where this question came from. Um, uh, let's see who is next here. Dylan, we don't have much time, but maybe I can squeeze you in for a minute. Yeah. We so take a break and if we have to, you know, break in then we'll just continue when we come back okay so yeah i think um so firstly i don't have too much social media myself i think it really depends on the person i think plenty of people who are extroverted can probably get away with it but it's important that everyone have some sort of in-person socialization so mm -hmm. the only role of digital socialization can be in combination with it i think it's there's something that you miss having been through the pandemic and only digitally socialized mm -hmm. there's definitely something you miss by never socializing in person so i do think 
it's not necessarily an issue. Maybe societally we can fix it somehow, but it is currently an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you think, I and I gather you feel that COVID has really had an impact on it. I think it just demonstrated it. I think um, some of us have bounced back from it, but certainly during that period, it showed why in-person is so valuable. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we are getting ready to take a break and we'll get back to you. The rest of you who have not responded, Nathan and Xavier, you tuned in to 411 team. We're taking a quick break. tuning in the program is 411 teen this is the politics rap team ib students from rickards high school this hour we're right now we're looking at is social media making us less social just the impact of social media and our communication i had been talking with ahmad i talked with dylan i talked with um donald how about xavier dylan did you finish everything you had to say yeah, I think just in general, it's not always a problem, but it's it is right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I I think that it's really interesting the effect that COVID has had because as soon as social media became a thing, uh, there's been this move towards people messaging more and more online. But COVID was like, uh, it sped up that process so much because now instantly everyone was using these platforms. So while some people bounced back from that, as Dylan said, a lot of people didn't. And so I think that uh, social media was inevitable, but uh, to like that it would be as large as it is, but it was only because of COVID that it was this fast, you know, since Mm. it came around that it has grown. Okay. Nathan? Well, Last but not least, we want to hear what you have to say. (laughs) Let me just start off by saying I'm not exactly the most social person. Like, Mm -hmm. if I do not know you and you come approach me, I will probably turn into a statue. But (laughs) basically, I feel like the entire social media thing is just that we got too used to it during the overall pandemic and Uh just never really moved away from it. And during that time, a lot of people probably became more introverted since they weren't actually interacting with other people. So I feel like just that in general did make us less likely to actually just talk to people. Okay. Well, the folks who disagree with you say that no social, social media isn't making us less social. Just to give you another perspective, they're saying that social media vastly increases the number of people we can know and help and learn and that it's real positive. But I think the majority, and I know the majority of of old folks, parents and up, really feel like it has had an impact um, on 
on how we communicate um, because we we aren't directly with the individual. You don't have that whole component of nonverbal communication because when you look at someone, when you communicate, it's not always what you are saying. And I don't know if you would agree with me or not, but I want to hear what you think. Um, it's the, the facial expressions. It's the eye contact. It's the affect. Um, all of that communicates something about the individual you're talking with. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but what do you think about that, Nathan? How do you, where do you sit on that? I kind of agree with it. Like, it is definitely easier to see what people are feeling when you can actually see them. Mm -hmm. But also, if you're, like, particularly good friends with someone, you can basically just imagine it and mm -hmm. know exactly what they're doing. Okay. Amal, where you sit on that, you think that you agree, disagree? Yeah, but I think I I agree with that. So when when the pandemic was first transitioning back into normal um like normal everyday life so this was right after the pandemic there was this awkward stage of like trying to re trying to socialize again in real life because i've been in quarantine for like how many years like like one and a half years so mm -hmm. it was an awkward transition for a couple of months and even with my friends i was like a little quiet with and yeah I think I completely agree that it's important to socialize in person because socializing in person is different from socializing online because as you said there's eye contact there's uh, body language there's a lot of factors and it's just completely different mm -hmm. now are you finding that to be the case Donald uh, yes, I, I'm finding that to be the case. I, I believe in seeing how people react, seeing their facial expressions, you know, mm -hmm. seeing, seeing them laugh, it's, it's a lot more. You, there's another component to it, and you gain more from interacting in person than interacting online where, without uh, any form of visual or audio contact yeah it it seems that when you don't have that visual contact it keeps you at a distance i don't know do you all feel that and i know it's on it's on you xavier but do you feel that that there's no the connection is not as strong yeah i definitely okay. do uh it like to me when I'm in person talking to someone, as they said, it's it's a lot more of that, you're right there with them. And so it's a lot more, I am talking just to you. Whereas with online, you could be messaging multiple people at a time, or you could be in a call doing something completely else. Like when you're in person, you are focused on that conversation. So mm -hmm. there's nothing else that could be like uh, weighing in on your conversation with that person. Okay, any other comments on this? particular perspective of social media because I have another one that I want to share with you and anyone have any more comments on this uh, I think that um, to what the specific rebuttal was um, from mm -hmm. people who don't think that it makes you less social mm -hmm. it's true and this is why I say we shouldn't just like 
you know, digital social media or whatever, it definitely has the power to connect people. And that's mm-hmm. why it should be used in combination. Like you go to school for eight hours and you socialize there and then you go home and you socialize with people online. You should be able to do both. It shouldn't just be the problem now is that the online is cutting into the time that you would socialize in person. And that's something that I think we should address. And I'm so glad you added that because social media, it does help people communicate and it helps people have access to folks of all ages and all educational resources. And it helps you communicate with your with your community. So it does help you come together. And I really thank you for adding that particular perspective. Now, another question related to the whole social media was simply, let me put it this way. Um, According to a recent report issued by the U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, this report calls for policymakers to strengthen safety standards for social media and limit access to better protect children and adolescents, okay? A a few months ago, Utah became the first state to enact laws restricting social media use for minors. When these laws take take place, um, I think it's in in March, pardon me, and anyone under 18 will need a parent's permission to use sites such as TikTok or Instagram, and they'll be blocked from social media after 1030. Now, Arkansas and Texas followed suit with similar laws. And I know Ohio and New Jersey and Louisiana were considering similar bills. Do you think, should the government restrict teens from the use of social media? Well, I I don't believe that the government should. Okay. First of all, this is, is a, a form of communication between people and limiting uh, the way you can communicate. Um, it doesn't sit right with me. I believe anyone should be able to communicate as um, freely and the government shouldn't be able to uh, infringe upon that. And it's just part of you know free speech, I would say. Okay, all right, great. Where do some of the rest of you sit? Feel free. Who yeah. Who join in? Uh, Go right ahead. I just wanted to say that to me, I definitely agree. I don't think that that's right. And the reason why for me is because it feels like when the uh, when we use social medias, yes, they can be negatively affecting on people, but it's their choice to do that, right? In the same way that you could you could also spend all of your time online like watching YouTube videos or something, but they're not going to put a limit on that, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that is the person's choice. Is it the right choice? Is it the wrong choice? That's their opinion, but. That's the big thing for me is I don't think that there should really be the power to do that because that comes down to the person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. I have a question. Yeah. So when when they say they're limiting social media use after 1030, are these like <laughs> specific platforms or is this all of social media? No, I think they're talking about specific platforms. 
Okay, because that's I was... what at least that's what I got from it. It wasn't just all the way across. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I was about to say, if it was all of social media after ten thirty, then that's like completely wrong. Because first, <laughs> I I tend to like sometimes procrastinate on my homework, and mm -hmm. sometimes I'll be like late at night, either studying for a test or completing some last minute assignments, and I just believe like ten thirty is way too early, and mm -hmm. it it also feels too controlling for the government to just limit usage like that i believe it's the responsibility of the person itself to determine mm -hmm. okay where does where what about you nathan where do you sit building off of what amog was saying imagine like a scenario where you have say math class first period in which case i feel bad for you but also <laughs> you have a particularly chaotic day that day and forget what the homework is until around like for <laughs> this purposes this purposes what am i saying <laughs> for these purposes it you forget about it until like 10 30 and then you try to ask someone but you can't because the government does not like you <laughs> right just feels a little too restricting for me yeah if yeah. i could say something again sure uh also i i know at least uh, people i know stay up really late and and exactly. there's a lot of communication that happens around those late hours of the night so i again back to my earlier point i think the government shouldn't uh infringe upon like when people can communicate and like how so mm -hmm. okay yeah i think it's uh. it's some people will say you know staying up late you shouldn't be doing that anyway so but uh, we can have a whole yeah. other conversation about school start times being pushed back but the fact of the matter is 10 30 really isn't late i mean people left to our own devices most of us would probably want to sleep about one to nine maybe 12 30 to eight something like that so mm -hmm. 10 30 is really early and i just mm -hmm. think if um if certainly social media can present problems but that's something that maybe parents should be helping their children correct or we should be talking about we shouldn't just say we're going to have a blanket policy restricting social media use without a parent approval which is going to be ridiculously hard to enforce and um we're just going to and yeah i think it's against it goes against the freedoms that we should have and it's um it's not really a sustainable policy well and you raised an issue Dylan because uh, maybe just because of my naivete I don't see how they can control it in that manner in the first place how can they cut it off at 10 30 for everyone unless uh, it, I just don't understand how that I don't have a feel I'm not savvy enough technologically to know how are they going to cut it off for everybody, let's say everybody in Ohio, um, under 18, at 1030, they can't, how do you do that? I would how assume. Orchestrate. Sorry. Hmm? Uh, sorry. I would assume that what they were doing is when you put in a location on your phone or it'll ask mm -hmm. for your location and your mm -hmm. age, and when you put in both of those, it'll say, oh, you're in Ohio and you're under 18. Okay. So at this time, 
it's closed off. But wouldn't somebody get savvy and know, well, they've restricted here. So when they ask me, I'm going to say I'm 21. Yeah. I mean, how do they check that? How do they check? That's, you know, those are all the kind of questions that I was wondering. Or just change change your time zone at 1029. You didn't hear hear that from me, but do it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it just seems like that, you know, they come up with these restrictions that aren't well thought out. I don't know. You know, and I'm old school, but I'm like, why are you going to create more and more? I don't know. Any other Uh, comments? If I could. I also feel what Dylan said with it being way too general of a like restriction because Mm -hmm. like what does social media encompass? That's such a vague topic because there's both, you know, the TikTok side of things where it's more short videos and then there's things that are more communication, but they're considered under the social media envelope still. Uh, text messaging is actually considered a social media mm-hmm. uh, under the definition, but I don't think they would restrict that because that's how people would communicate to get home. Right. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, and also, can I just yeah. say one more thing? Sure. Uh, this thing about people, you know, changing their location or changing their age, people already do that. That's, and- this is a very common thing. Everyone knows it. Everyone does it. It's, it's not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with Donald. People lie about their age on the internet all the time. And there's also a lot of things you can do to bypass this, such as using a VPN. Like people are always going to find ways to uh, go around these barriers. It's not going to really make that much of an impact. Especially the generation which has been raised on technology. And, and it's not has learned these tricks. It's not really going to solve the problem either, because you can have plenty of issues with social media before ten thirty p.m. <laughs> I mean, the the late night is not really the issue with social media. It, maybe it's one of them, but we should fix mm-hmm. that in other ways by just changing school start times because late nights are, you know, they're fun. I mean, you you have to have them every once in a while, and social media is not the barrier there. Social media. The problem we're talking about is it impacting socialization in person. And if you try to enact laws like this and say, okay, we fixed the problem. No, you didn't. You just made a new problem. And now we have both problems. Yeah, I think it would be easier to change school start times than trying to figure out a system (laughs) on how to implement this. Yes, yes, I agree. I mean, it's sort of like, to me, the whole bathroom thing, you know, with the LGBTQ. You know, you have to enter the bathroom that, that... for this uh sex that was identified at birth how are people going to know that is there going to be somebody there checking that i mean it's just ridiculous i don't know one of the another one of those kinds of restrictions policies that you put up that i i don't really know that that you can really enforce that so anyhow we're moving on to up to a break and when we come back the question we'll explore is should the government restrict teens? Oh, we've already dealt with that. I was going to say restrict the teens use, but parents, should parents be allowed to monitor <clears throat> their kids online? You're tuned in to 411 Team. We're going to take a quick break. 
Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. This edition of 411 Team features Politics Rap. The Politics Rap Team, students from Rickards High School International Baccalaureate Program. Before we went on break, I told you another one of the issues was going to be, should parents monitor their kids online? This particular question came from an author that I just interviewed, and she wrote a book called Growing Up Online. And she noted that parents now, many parents keep tabs on their kids online through following them on Snapchat and Instagram are by friending them on Facebook. But a recent survey found that some parents are going even further to keep that whole digital track on their kids. According to this research, Pew Research, more than 60% of parents of teens now have checked their their kids' web history. Nearly half have looked through their kids' call logs or text and a third know the password to at least one of their kids' social media accounts. Is this the kind of digital supervision or do you call this just spying? That's my question to you all. What do you think of this? I was I was just kind of blown away. Of course, I don't have kids anymore. They're grown and out of school, but I just, I don't know. I just never thought of monitoring them in that way. Nathan, I see you. What's happening? What do you think about this? Yeah, I think on one hand, it is kind of spying. But on the other hand, this is the parent of the child. So they do kind of have a right to do that. Mm. It is slightly annoying, though. Yeah. My mom has a downtime system set up that locks Mm -hmm. my phone at 10. Oh, really? Okay. How do you feel about that? It's definitely kind of annoying when I want to contact some of my friends and I don't have their actual phone numbers, so I have to use Discord, which is blocked. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of just an inconvenience more than anything else. Oh, okay. Okay. I can see... Oh, you go ahead, Dylan. Okay, thank you. I think it's a complicated issue because obviously there are cases in which... uh, parents should definitely not and there are cases in which maybe they should like if a child is you know there are some cases in which I could see that a parent would have justification but I think Mm -hmm. it should be kind of like the way that we do law enforcement searches I mean you don't need like a formal warrant but we should have some sort of cause before they do it they shouldn't just do it to um, read through your messages because we do deserve some level of privacy and I think also in terms of screen time Maybe that should be restricted for younger kids, but once you reach a certain age, I think you should kind of, because when you hit 18 and you go off into the world, it's up to you. (laughs) And so we want you to develop a habit that's just not screen time 24-7. So it's up to you to actually figure out how you yourself are going to monitor, to, to make sure, not to necessarily minimize your screen time, but make sure that you have space for other things in your life. And so sometimes you have to be online at 11.30 p.m. It happens. And blanket mm-hmm. screen time rules are kind of silly in my opinion, but it really does depend on the child. Okay. 
Yeah, so yeah. I can see like what parents are trying to do. However, I think this should only apply to like very, very young children on the internet, maybe like below the age of seven, because okay. I get like at that age, like they still don't know, they don't really have much responsibility and mm-hmm. they don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> Not like that, but like, yeah. <laughs> um, but after a certain age, I would say like around teens, early teens, um, it's it's up to the child to be responsible on like how to use the internet safely and um, limiting their usage of the internet because responsibility is a skill that you know needs to be developed and if you don't get like proper practice in trying to limit yourself and becoming more responsible then you won't ever like develop that skill and another thing is that I think parents should stop investing time in spying their kids but rather um teaching their kids how to Mm. use the internet more safely and dangers that can come stuff like that okay very good points good points I agree with what everyone has said so far. In terms of legally, I think the parents have the right to do whatever, uh, like whatever they want. I think they have they have a right to. It's their child. If they want to see what they're doing, uh, they can legally. But I yeah. think that a, a parents should trust their child, children, especially mm-hmm. especially teen. Well, I can see them going through uh, a young kid's kid's uh, phone and their history mm-hmm. and everything, but once they reach teen, I think the teen should reach to have a certain level of independence from the parents, and the parents should respect that independence uh, by letting them do what they do. Now, if, if now what I agree with Dylan said though, if they have a reason, then yeah, you they can go through. Uh, but just generally, I think there's, I think um, the team should be able to be trusted to be making the right decisions online. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to say, I think that by letting people just go out and, you know, at the age of 13, 14, somewhere around there, letting people have more freedom that means that sometimes they'll make a mistake and do something wrong but then that allows them to learn from that and they become more mature through that instead of where if you just have someone uh who is their entire life until they're 18 has a screen time and their parents have restricted what they can look at and all this stuff then they're not really going to get to learn like they they won't get to have the ability to mature and Mm -hmm. most of the time they're not going to learn that maturity because they just like they're just being forced to be Mm -hmm. uh mature with what they do instead of learning that that's what they want to do okay yeah and then also to tie back into what we were saying earlier it really uh inhibits their social life because mm-hmm. social media is such a part of our interaction between each other that if if so if the parent is always going through their kids' phones or preventing 
them from texting after a certain time. Uh, it prevents them from interacting with other people their age or just uh, saying things that they maybe their parents wouldn't let, want them to say. And mm-hmm. and I then they're very in, uh, limited in how they can interact with everyone. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, all of you raised some good, you know, some good points. Um, who else? Who haven't we heard from? Everybody's commented on this. Any other additional comments you want to make? I will say I heard something recently, which is that I'm not sure the specific organization, but whatever organization used to recommend screen time limits for by age actually doesn't anymore uh, because of the fact that the internet is so much more integrated in society that it's really now should be about a case-by-case basis that different children should have different limits and um, it's it's really just about learning how to because screen time in and of itself isn't bad it is the fact that it can overtake other areas of your life that's what we're all concerned about and of course there are you know smaller things like making sure you get enough sleep and yeah, it doesn't matter. But um, the point is, you should you, you should make sure you have space for other things in your life. And that's something that can be worked out on a child by child basis. And parents shouldn't be forcing a specific guideline into what you can can and can't be on, uh, mm-hmm. nor should they be interfering with it by going through it without cause, because that's just that that is a compromising the right to privacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Other comments? Okay. Our closing question, and it has just come up because of all that is happening in Israel and around the world. You know, the United States has spent $44 billion on foreign aid. That was last year. The money was used to respond to crises and natural disasters in 64 countries, with Ukraine being the largest recipient of American aid in 2022. I think it re- it received, gosh, it received, uh, maybe, maybe it was like 22, 22 billion. I'm not quite sure. I think it was around that number. Um, and in December, Congress approved a 6% increase for um, foreign aid as part of the 2023 budget. This is the first time that had happened in about six years that foreign aid funding had been increased. A lot of Americans are complaining. A lot of Americans have had mixed feelings about this spending taxpayer money on projects in other nations. When you look around and you see childhood hunger, you see poverty, all of this across our own nation. My question to you, my closing question for to you today, is should the U.S. continue giving billions in foreign aid when they have, haven't taken care of everything that needs to be addressed at home? Uh, I was going to say, for me, I think the, the line that you can draw is that for matters that are something like a natural disaster or are something where there, we're supporting the side that is obviously in self-defense. I think, for example, Ukraine, right? That was something where it's not like people are like, well, 
was it Ukraine that started the war? No, they are obviously being attacked in this case. So for situations like that, I think that is totally worth funding because while yes, there are matters that need to be helped here, I, these matters uh, are very immediate, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's mm -hmm. not like we can fund things here and then go, oh, there was an earthquake or there was an invasion there. Here, now let's fund you. These are immediate problems that need an immediate solution mm -hmm. to. Whereas the longer term issues that are going to take a lot longer to solve, we can have support going towards, but in a less major sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I agree with what um, Donald and Xavier have said so far. For the specific case of Ukraine, uh, there are a couple of things. One is Ukraine is definitely acting in self-defense, and more so the reason that we're in U we're not we're not in Ukraine, but we're supporting Ukraine is that if Russia can get away with, you know, threatening their Ukraine's security, uh, they can do that to a number of other places, and we don't want to let Russia just change the balance of power in the world. And so it is in our interest. And I think there's more to the question of whether we should fund other countries when it's just in our interest or not. But it is definitely in our interest to keep funding Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Well, I know it's been said, I'll just throw this in there. You know, when we do provide foreign aid, it, it reflects, you know, the American values and it benefits us at home and as a country and for the respect and the position that we hold. I don't know if that's a valid excuse, but that's that's what some are saying. And then other folks, you know, the other caps, uh, group are saying foreign aid often, when you give all this foreign aid, you all, all it does is reinforce corruption and undemocratic institutions. So, you know, that's the, the yay and the nay that um, was, at least explored in this issue, this question. Comments? Yeah, I think if if it's not distributed properly, obviously it can lead to corruption, but mm -hmm. that's not really a question of whether we should give it at all. That's just whether we should regulate it better, which we should. We should always make sure that if you're sending uh, $100 million to help the people of a country get medicine that they need, that it's going to the people of the country and not its president or something like that. Because mm -hmm. um, that can happen and that is a problem. But that doesn't mean that we should never give money to help people like that or to help our strategic interests. Um, I think we should not have a blanket policy of not doing it. Okay. Yes, I, I agree. Um, it, this, the corruption part of it is simply, it should be regulated more. Uh, I don't think this, I don't think sending foreign, the policy of sending foreign aid uh, shouldn't rely on how well the money is being regulated, how well regulated the money is being sent. And I think, uh, in, like you said earlier, um, how it um, people are saying that it reflects the American values. And uh, I want to say that um, Sometimes it's just uh, uh, helping victims of a certain natural disaster, like Xavier said. And I think it would be wrong to just to not offer help when you can't help it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
if I could say something again, yes, I think that the other big thing is when you're looking at a natural disaster, it isn't easy to solve, but there's a very direct solution. When there's a invasion or something of self-defense, right? There's a very obvious solution of what you can do to help. When it comes to a lot of the issues we have here, like, uh, you know, issues with high amounts of homeless people or, you know, poverty and things like that, those issues are, they're not something that can just directly be solved, right? So there's still, there is progress being made to solve those, but it's not something where having a billion dollars brought to some service is just going to make that problem go away. Whereas with a natural disaster, you can throw enough people and funding at it to help those people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other comments? Yeah, I feel like the foreign aid thing isn't something that should be completely eradicated, but we do probably want to tone down the amount we're helping out, seeing as we're currently in like, I believe it was $33 trillion of debt. Probably should do something about that. Mm -hmm. If I could just say that figure on debt isn't, I mean, if you just hear, oh, we're in $33 trillion of debt, that sounds really bad. It's bad, but it's not actually that bad because we're the, the way the economic system works is that we do kind of keep borrowing a bit of a, a deficit. We, we keep borrowing a bit and we, the debt goes up a bit and that's healthy to a degree. Well, um, I have to, I have to listen, we'll get back to this because we are out of time. Um, we have time just runs out. And we're having a good time. So for this edition of 411 Team, it's time out. A special thanks, as always, to my politics rap team, the Rickards IB students, to my listening audience. Much, much appreciation for your time and your ear. Tune in next week, same time, same place, to get the 411 on 411 Team. Four One One Team was produced by Dr. Liz Hollyfield. Technical assistance was provided by Evan Rossi. If you would like to participate in the Four One One Team or have suggestions for discussion topics, call 850-645-7200. You can listen to previous episodes of Four One One Team at wfsu.org.